0: it uh it wasn't until I was folding the bulletins last night that I realized I forgot to update the sermon section of the bulletin, so you'll notice it still says we're in chapter four I believe uh we're not we're moving on to chapter five this morning, but for those of you who are looking forward to last week's sermon again sorry to sorry to d- disappoint uh, but um, Adelaide, do you remember? What happened to your first fish, Elizabeth, the very first one? She died, didn't she? What about uh, the baby birds? Died, yep. Um, what about daddy's grandma, Nana? She died, right? What about Mrs. Yee? Yeah, she died. Um, who else in here? That's just a few experiences from a three- and five-year-olds' life so far? How many of you in here would have a similar uh, chain of names and the result? Died, died, died. Every single one of us. All of our lives in here have been affected and shaped by death and by loss. It hurts. It hurts. Um... How many of you not only think about others' death, deaths and their loss, but have any of you begun to contemplate even your your own? Will, will you and I also die one day? And when I was 18, I wasn't thinking about that for sure. Uh, now I'm 36 and my knees are starting to bother me and other ailments are starting to come and maybe... This body breaking down, and death seems more of a reality than it did before um, uh, what What is it about our world and the experiences that we all face death, loss hurt um specifically the loss of of life death is a part of our lives as we experience it. It's not a natural part of life. It's actually unnatural, right? We've seen this in Genesis. God did not create us to die. But something has happened. Something has messed up everything in this world. And it seems as if death dominates. Death reigns cruelly in your life and in mine. Will it reign forever? Can its power be broken? Will it have the last word? Those are good questions. Um, What we've seen so far in Genesis, remember when Adam and Eve sinned, one of the things God said that would happen if they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was that they would die. Last week as we saw with Cain and Abel, uh, we began to see the effects of spiritual death, separation from God as we... uh, pursue and and sin and rebel against him actively in this world and the effects that it has on other people. We sin. People sin against us. The world is just messed up. This morning, what we're going to see is more of a focus on answering and exploring that question of physical death, its reign and rule in this world. And is it going to last forever? So if you would, turn with me to Uh, Genesis chapter 5. I believe that would be on page 4, if you're following along in one of those black Bibles there in front of you, uh, as we continue our uh, journey through Genesis. Remember, we understand Genesis to be the Word of God, uh, written um, by uh, a man named Moses, who was uh, an early leader that God appointed to deliver His people. And He's actually writing this book to explain to the Israelites whom He was delivering from Egypt. Uh, who it is? Who is this God? What's going on in their world? Can they trust Him? Can they rely on Him as they seek to, to follow Him in the midst of uh, a lot of craziness and hurt and pain? Uh, and so that message to them uh, is the same message to, to us as we struggle and wrestle with those those same questions. So let's, uh, let's uh, hear God's word for us this morning from Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, He created them, and He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, uh, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, passages like this in Scripture are, are tough to approach sometimes. What is a list of People's births and the children that they had and deaths, what does it mean for us? How does it apply today? Uh, May we see all of your word is uh, is your truth. It's the word of God. It's useful for shaping our, our hearts and our lives, for moving us to righteousness and depending and hoping in you. God, my words this morning as we walk through this passage, may they be pleasing to you Holy Spirit, apply your word. Jesus, be glorified in and through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, As as we read through this, uh, first off, you may have had some questions that came up. I mean, people are living a really long time, hundreds of years. You might think, uh, is this just made up? Are they embellishing it? Is it myth? Uh, what are they What are they doing? Um, we'll, we'll see later on in Genesis as Moses is writing, and he's specifically writing about Abraham. He's going to talk about Abraham being old, and Abraham's going to be in his uh, late 80s, 90s, in his hundreds when Moses is talking about this. The acknowledgement of uh, at some point later on, these ages typical to what we're experiencing now were things that they recognized as being old. Something was different back Back in this this section, remember we're not super far. We're closer. They're closer to the uh, to the goodness of God's creation than they are. And so, a lot of what we're seeing is the further and further as we progress in in history, um, the farther that we get from the fall, the effects of sin seem to have more and more of an effect on them. So, there's not really any reason necessarily to see these as being fake, made up uh, numbers. Um, the other thing is, is you may think, oh, well, we could just count backwards and um, uh, figure out when everything started. And uh, so People have tried that. You might could do that. One thing that you you can see, though, from the, the practice of genealogies, not just around this time but in other places in Scripture, uh, they don't all the time give you uh, in line, in line, in line, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, thinking like, all right, Larry Schubert was my dad directly. Uh, Wilton Schubert was his dad directly and, and going through. Sometimes what they do is they highlight specific people, and fathered could just mean it's one of your ancestors. Son could mean uh, an ancestor in different places. So sometimes they just highlight on specific people, and it's not necessarily one in-line birth order. And so this may be uh, an account of a thousand years, and they didn't skip any guys. It could also be that... Um, there was a lot more people that were born um, in between this, and they're just highlighting specific uh, leaders within the the time for the purpose that Moses is seeking to to do and so if that causes you any confusion um uh, it doesn't it doesn't need to be they didn 't necessarily necessarily are they listing in every everyone here so just to get that out of the way if you had some of those those uh, those questions um, uh, but the the big question though, before us and the reason that we're approaching this this passage and seeing uh, another thing that maybe stuck out as we're reading it, did you notice something that popped up in this uh this genealogy over and over and over again? he died he died he died in fact there's a there's a pattern here typically for most of them there was some guy he lived so many years um he uh he had a, a son or a descendant. Then he lived so many years after that. He had other sons and daughters. And then all the days of this particular guy were so many years and he died. But in three places in this genealogy, that pattern breaks. The pattern breaks with Adam. He does, the account of Adam doesn't follow that pattern. There's a break with Enoch. And then there's also something that's different with, uh, with Lamech at the end and Noah a little bit as well. So what we want to do is, why would Moses break the pattern there? He died, he died, he died. And then in these particular places, he gives us more information. That's part of Moses's uh, the way he's writing to us. We want to focus on those guys and see, all right, what is it that he's teaching us? What is it different that we see that's going on with Adam, with Enoch, and with Lamech that will help shape our understanding of what the importance of this passage is and why it applies to us, specifically as it relates to death, because of that emphasis, die, 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 doesn't really show up in other genealogies that Moses is going to give us in the rest of Genesis. The focus is at seeing how death is passed on. And we all experience that. We've just acknowledged that we see, see death going around. Why? Why is it this way, though? I know Adam and Eve sinned. And God told them, hey, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're gonna die. Well, that's great. That's the consequence for Adam and Eve. But why us? Why are we also experiencing these uh these struggles? Why are we also experiencing this rule and uh domination by by death? Notice uh in the section where it talks about Adam in the beginning. Uh, Moses begins by by recounting a little bit of the uh, creation up to this point. It begins, uh, in this uh, this is the book of the generations of Adam. That's something that we're going to see occur several times over the rest of Genesis, the generations of, and then it highlights somebody. It's how Moses has structured a lot of the account of Genesis, so that will come up if you're interested in that. But it says, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created. Then look at the similar language describing Adam and what he's doing. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. Just as God had created in his own likeness, Adam fathers in his own likeness. After his image, remember God created us in his image. And then in the other account it said, and God named him man. Here we're seeing, and then Adam named him Seth. What we're we're seeing here is Moses emphasizing this idea. Remember what we saw in Genesis is that when God created man, when he created Adam and Eve, they were made in his image. They were made in his likeness. We are here to reflect good and true things about God, to be uh, his representatives within this world and to demonstrate his glory. What we're seeing here in this passage, first off, is that it wasn't just Adam and Eve who were made in God's image. Adam begins to image and reflect God through what he's doing, by having a son in his image, naming him. The same thing is going to continue. Uh, it's just as Adam is doing that, those who are made in his image or in his likeness as well, that that truth about us as humans passes on. All of us have been created in the image of God. Just as Adam was made in the image of God, we are made in the image of God. We saw that last week too, remember with Cain's line, where they were doing incredible things, creating beautiful music and instruments, um, utilizing uh, resources in the world to, to further expand and build cities and raise livestock reflecting good things about God's image. All of us have been made in God's image. These good things pass on to all of us. That's something that's evident in this passage and will be evident in the rest of Genesis. Because Adam and Eve were made in God's image, we also, all of us, are made in God's image. But something else shows up here, uh, just like we're seeing it seems like not only, though, was this image of God something that's true of all of us because Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, this death thing is true for all of us. Adam died. Did you catch that at the end of that verse? Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And almost everybody that we read about in the rest of this passage died, died, died. However many years it's been since Adam was, has been dead, We've all been experiencing death. That's been a part of human existence. But why is that the case? Adam's the one that sinned. Why are you and I on the hook for what Adam did? If he's the one that disobeyed, let him die. Give me a chance. Give me a chance to obey. This doesn't seem like it's fair, God, that you would do this, punish all of us for something that Adam did. Um, Show this first picture up here. Somehow, sometimes this is the way we think maybe it should work or it does work. That when God is relating to humans and to humanity, He's relating to all of us as individuals. God, you gave this command to Adam. He sinned? Punish him. I'm fine with that. But let me do it on my own. Let me start off fresh. Why do I have to experience the same punishment that he did? Actually, this is not how God operates and relates to man. It may be in our American understanding of how things should work. Hey. Uh, but show the next slide. This is actually how the worldview of scripture is and how God relates to humanity. Um, God does not relate to us specifically as individuals, although that is important, but God relates to us. That are up there is a representative, a covenant representative. Um, God relates to humanity through covenant representatives. And these X's in here in the middle are the people that are represented by that representative. You'll notice there's Connections, and we saw some of that last week, but we will talk about that later. But this is a big thing to understand. God, when he relates to people through covenant, it always happens through a representative. As it goes for the representative, so it goes for the people that that person represents. We're going to see this come up other places in Genesis. Adam, God entered into a covenant with Adam. Some call it the covenant of works. Others call it the covenant of life that we saw in creation. Um, The consequence of if if Adam had obeyed, the the experience would have been that he would have remained in that experience of life. And so would we. We would have benefited from his uh, uh, continuing in that way. But because God was relating to Adam as a representative, because he sinned and failed, because of those of us who are in Adam, all humanity, we also sinned. In Adam's sin, and therefore the consequence of his sin, death, is ours as well. You may think, well, thanks for explaining it, but it still doesn't mean I think it's fair. Uh, seems a little bit foreign to our experience in America. I mean, where does this happen? Um, well, one way that might help you think of it in a way that fits more into our context is through sports. Uh, Lindsay graduated from Clemson University. Uh, this past uh, football season, um, Clemson went undefeated. They won the ACC championship in football. Lindsey could say, we went undefeated this year, and we won the, champion- we won the ACC championship. That would, be, that would not be foreign language for her to use, and every single one of you would understand what she's saying. In fact, you may have even said that to her. Oh, we saw you all won last week. Nobody is going to confuse Lindsay for a Clemson football player. No one, when she's saying that, thinks she was the one who actually played in the game. But because she went to Clemson, and the football team has been selected by the university to represent the student body, to play for them, as it goes for the the players, the representatives, so it goes for those for whom they represent. The team won... Therefore, Lindsey and all Clemson alumni won. The Ducks, too. I forgot about that. They would also have said we. But a sad thing happened. In the national championship, Lindsey, Clemson was playing the national championship last this year. They lost to Alabama. Lindsey and the Ducks would also say, man, that game was awful. We lost. Maybe we'll have a better chance next year. As it goes for the representatives, so it goes for those for whom they represent. Just as they can say, when Clemson won, we won, they also won't necessarily say, when Clemson lost, we lost. It also works in the past. Lindsay could say, we won the national championship in 1981. She was not even born. Yet due to this idea and concept that we have in our culture of representatives – It works that way. Because when Lindsay was accepted to Clemson, she became a member of Clemson and a member of the people that the football team represents. That's the same concept we're seeing within Scripture. But obviously it's on a bigger plane than sports. Adam was our representative. As it went for Adam, so it went for us because all of us were found in Adam. Because Adam sinned, we also say we sinned. We died we lost because Adam was created in the image of God. We also experience that we have been made in the image of God because he is our representative. Uh, you may think, well, I don't really know. if th- I still think it's fair. Well, that, that's the way God relates to us. That is how God relates to humanity, and we're going to see this play out Uh within the rest of Genesis in various places. But this is important for us to see. Why do we experience death like this? Because it was Adam who sinned. Well, it's because the way it worked out is Adam was our covenant representative. And the reason you and I experienced death and goldfish get sick and die, and my grandmother died, and our friend King George died, and you all experienced death and loss, we lost a little baby is because of Adam's sin and the fact that he was our representative. Now, that may give us a little bit of an understanding of the how and the why death affects us. Not just us, but these people that we're reading about here. Uh, But what about the bigger question? Is it have the last word? Will it always rule and reign and dominate? Uh, In Ohio, in 1994, a guy named Donald Miller, um, uh, disappeared. His wife didn't know what, what happened. They, they assumed that he was dead. And so she filed papers, uh, saying that, you know, he had, he had died. The judge declared that, uh, yes, he had died. And so she began to get it be, get benefits for his, uh, in light of his death. Well, um, uh, Many years later, in 2005, uh, Donald shows back up. In fact, Donald was not dead. Donald was an alcoholic, and uh, pressures were getting too bad in Ohio, and so he left, and he was hopping around going places from Atlanta to Florida, working jobs, and in the meantime, he wasn't getting treated for his alcoholism, and so he wasn't contacting anybody, so they assumed he was dead. Well, Donald shows back up. He is not dead, so he goes to a judge and says, I'm not dead. Um, I would like for you to reverse that ruling that I was dead. And the judge says, well, um, I'm sorry. Uh, Even though you're standing here alive and well, the ruling was that you were dead, and therefore you are dead. You missed the statute of limitations. You had three years to challenge this ruling, and uh, I'm sorry. I can't go against the law. Tough for you, Donald Miller. Uh, the law says you're dead, and so you're dead. That's the way it is. Um, is that? Yeah, the the wife did. She also she in the in the whole court tr- case. She kept arguing the fact that he shouldn't be declared back alive because she would have to pay back all this money. But anyway. That's beside the point. Um, uh, Is that how God reacts and responds, though? I'm sorry. The ruling was, you're dead. And therefore, regardless of what happens or turns out from here to the end of time, that's just the way it's going to be. That's what the, the ruling was. We can't change the ruling. You're dead. Is there any hope? Look in verse 21 to 24. Remember we said we're going to focus on three people. Adam. We looked at Adam a little bit. The next person whose account in here breaks the pattern is Enoch. Remember what we saw the pattern was. So-and-so lived, fathered, lived, died. Listen to Enoch in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What's different in this account? Yes. That refrain of, and he died is not here. It says Enoch walked with God and he was not. Uh, As we uh, try to understand what does that mean, he was not? Is that just another way of saying he just died and they're just trying to be nice? No. Remember, Moses is breaking this pattern in particular. Something special and unique is happening here with Enoch. Uh, One of the principles we use to help us interpret and understand what's going on with Scripture is places that are are difficult to understand. Um, We look to to other places in Scripture to help us understand it. And actually in Hebrews, uh, which is another book towards the end of the Bible, if you're following along in that, that one of those black Bibles, you'll find this on page uh, 1007. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about this guy, Enoch. And it says, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 11, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. The reason Moses breaks the pattern is because Enoch did not die. He walked with God and he was not because God took him. What is going on? How... How in the world was Enoch able to escape death? How does that happen? Why and how did God take him and all of these other people here died, died, died? What was it with Enoch? Well, the explanation it gives us in verse in chapter five is that Enoch was walking with God what does what does that mean? Uh, As it says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Walking with God, does that just mean he pleased God enough? Enoch was such a good guy that God looked down on him and Enoch and God were such good buddies and pals and Enoch was always doing the right thing. And compared to all of these other guys in Cain's line and Seth's line, God was like, you know what, Enoch, you're such a good guy. Everybody else deserves to die, but you don't. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you, before you die, I'm going to take you to be with me because you don't deserve to die. Is that, is that what's going on? Is that what it means to walk with God? And is that the reason Enoch was, was released and delivered from death? Remember what we saw last week with Cain. Is God, just, is God pleased by the externals alone? Or does the internal stuff also have to come along with it? It's about our heart and our faith and our looking to Him. In fact, let's look back to that passage in Hebrews on page 1007 and see what it says. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, And that He rewards those who seek Him. Are works important? Yes. Part of our responsibility as being in a covenant with God is our obedience. We need to obey. But how one pleases God is through faith. It is walking with God. Uh, These works aren't meritorious. You're not earning any kind of favor before God. Enoch didn't earn any favor and merit. He deserved death just like the rest of us. The difference, in the rest of these other people, the difference was that Enoch was walking and looking to God in faith. And for some reason, God said for Enoch, I'm going to break the pattern. God's given us a little bit of insight into what he's up to. That death doesn't necessarily have the last word. God is the one who is in charge. God has the ability to redeem and deliver us from the power and the dominion of death. We see that here with Enoch. A flash of hope in the midst of this dark, da, 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 da. But how does one escape death like this? Maybe what it was is the, these other guys, because we saw Seth's was, line was calling upon the name of Yahweh, right? They were worshiping him. These other people had faith. Maybe what it was is Enoch just had more faith. And the reason that these other guys died and Enoch didn't is because he had more faith than them. You know what? The reason you and I have, have will die or all of our family members have died, does that mean it's because they didn't believe enough? They didn't have enough faith? Well no. That then turns faith into a work, right? See, maybe it's maybe it's not so much the amount of your faith as it is the object of your faith. We went to the adventure park in Virginia Beach last weekend. This is like a high ropes course thing with zip lines and Uh, you have these carabiners and you have to do all these obstacles climbing on these tall wires and on these pieces of wood dangling yourself between trees and all this stuff. Well, at the end, you, you end in the top of a tree on this platform and you hook yourself onto this rope cable thing and you then have to jump off 10, 20, 30, 40 feet below. Now, some people... Had a lot of faith in this cable to be able to support them, and it would not keep them from plummeting into their death, and they would get off and just, and go. Me, on the other hand, I was a little bit more ginger and tested it out at first, but I, I built up my my you know my faith in this thing through the process, and I was like, all right. And so you know, I jumped. But you know what? There was this one girl, and she was super afraid to jump off. It took her we were down there calling to her and encouraging her to jump and she started and stopped and started and stopped and it took her a really long time. Her faith and trust in this cable was very, very small. And eventually she fell off. And you know what? She fell all the way to the ground. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> because that, that cable isn't based on how much how much faith you have, right? Since she only had a little bit of faith, it was only going to hold her a little bit and she didn't have enough faith in the thing and so she fell. No. Her little bit of faith in this great contraption that would hold her was enough to keep her from plummeting to her death. Because what mattered was not the amount of faith she had but the object of the faith. Does that make sense? The cable wasn't gauging her faith based on if it was going to deliver her or not. This is the same thing we see in Scripture. A little bit of faith can embrace a great big God. It's the object of your faith that is important, not the amount of your faith. So some of you may be here, maybe you've just been walking with Jesus for a little bit of time, and you're like, man, I just don't really know if I can believe and I'm trusting in Him as much as this person over here or you up here who's preaching from the Bible. See, the encouragement we have from what we see in Scripture and what we see uh, of how God reveals Himself is that to walk with God is to look to God in faith. It's to trust in Him, depend on Him, to flee to Him. Some of us may do that with more stronger, more faith than others, but this is the This is the truth of Scripture and the encouragement that that we we have is that the little bit of faith that we have when we look to our great God, it's more dependent on how strong He is and not on how strong we are. It's the object of our faith, not the amount of our faith. Well, that's great for Enoch, right? It wasn't for these other people. Maybe it's not for us. Is, is Enoch the only one? Uh, we saw that part of you know what we're talking about is God here is breaking in in a in a small way to give us hope to see that He has more power over death and He will deliver those. Well, what is what's the object of our faith? If it's based more on not our amount but the object of our faith. Enoch escaped because he was walking with God. What do we need to understand more about the object of our faith? Well, let's look at this third person that breaks the pattern, Lamech. Down in verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that Yahweh has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. This language that uh Lamech's using, he's this toil, relief, uh, the ground. Lamech's using terms remember when the, the curse that God gave, the consequences that God gave Adam because of his sin about the curse cursing of the ground and he's gonna have to work and he was gonna be toiling. Lamech has this on his mind. And he's looking to this son of his and saying um he called him Noah. Noah sounds a little bit like relief. Out of the ground that Yahweh has cursed, this one, this son here, will bring us relief from the work, from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech seems in this instance, in this context, to have hope. In light of the, the consequences of the fall in the past, Lamech here is having hope that one is going to come who will bring deliverance. From his perspective, he's thinking maybe it possibly could be this son, that he will be the one who brings us relief from the consequences of sin. Why does Lamech still have hope? It's been at least around a thousand years, possibly more, for a a thousand years, except for Enoch, they've just been seeing people, one after the other, dead, 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 dead. Dead. Why does he still have hope? A thousand years of death? Who knows how many births have happened at this point? When? Where is this deliverer coming from? He sure hasn't come now. Why hasn't Enoch given up? Think about Israel in the context where they're receiving this passage. When Moses comes on the scene, you know how long they've been in oppression in Egypt? Over 400 years. When's God going to show up? What about these promises? Why can Enoch or Lamech have hope after waiting so long and apparently looking around and seeing maybe God's not faithful to His promises after all? Look back to the beginning, back in uh, verse 1 and 2. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, He created them And He blessed them and named them man, and they were created. This blessing goes back to the beginning with the creation. Remember, God blessed them, and when He was speaking to man, He blessed them, and He said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Let's see more offspring from you come, that more humans might be born. I'm blessing you that this may happen, and that you will fill the earth and spread my glory. Remember God's promise. What was God's promise? From where was this deliverer going to come? It was going to be one of Eve's offspring, right? So for the past thousand years, kids, we saw this over and over again, right? They had many other sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters. It may have appeared as God was not going to be faithful to his promises. And that his offspring would not come. Maybe God had forgotten them because we're dying, we're suffering. But over and over again, sons and daughters came. The blessing continued. Actually, for a thousand years, Lamech had seen evidence of the faithfulness of God to keep his covenant promises because his blessing was still at hand. God was still at work bringing more offspring because that was the means by which he was going to deliver his people by bringing an offspring. Lamech here is hoping in that covenant-keeping and covenant-making God. That's the object of our faith. The God who keeps His promises. The one who has promised that the offspring would come for this long time of experience in death and suffering. They had really also experienced God's faithfulness. The hope that Lamech has is the hope that we can have. And a God who continues, even when it's tough for us, even when it looks as if He is not going to fulfill His promises, we know that God is faithful and He's active in keeping them, even when it might not seem like He is. Lamech's object of his faith is in the provision and promises of God. That too should be the object of our faith. In uh, North Carolina, earlier this, this has been in the past couple of months, So was a, a judge. He's in a veterans court. And um, an individual, uh, a sergeant had come in who uh, had experienced a lot of uh, of trauma. He had multiple tours in Afghanistan. Uh, he ended up being the only one who survived from his company, if that's even the right term. I don't know military terms, but uh, uh, he had severe post-traumatic stress disorder. And in light of that, he was seeking relief through uh, through dependency on alcohol and drugs. And so he was in this court because he was turning himself in because he had uh, uh, he had lied in a, in a drug test that he had previously had. And the judge said, well, I'm going to sentence you to uh, a night in jail. And he could see that the guy was shaking as he was in his courtroom. And so uh, the judge took him over to the next uh, the next county. Um, they put him in a, in a cell. And they locked him in, the sergeant. The next thing they, the the guy in the cell knew, knew so they were opening the the jail cell again, and the judge came in there with him. They locked him in there too. And the guy, the sergeant goes, "You're staying here, too." And judge goes, "Yeah, we're both in here." Uh, the judge said, "What he knew is that seeing the the distress in the guy's eyes, seeing him already shaken, he knew that one more." One night alone in this jail cell could be enough to trigger his PTSD. And so the judge said, I'm going to stay here with him. And the judge stayed there with him the whole night. And they talked through their experiences in the war, because this guy was a Gulf War vet, uh, to be with this guy in the midst of his hurt and his pain and his suffering. Now, what we end up seeing in Scripture of this offspring that's coming. Remember what we saw if he was going to be one who would deliver God's people by defeating the evil one, but at great cost to himself. You see, God, much like this judge, enters into our pain and our suffering. The God who is faithful to keep his covenant promises actually did so by becoming one of us. The offspring that we're hoping for, it wasn't Noah. It was be much, much, much later. It would be Jesus. And unlike this judge who was just in there not suffering a penalty or a punishment, he was just in there caring for the guy as the guy went through his own punishment, what the hope that we have and what Jesus promises is that he will suffer the punishment we deserve. The death and sin and curse and consequences that Adam earned for us and that we all experience. The promise and hope we have in Scripture is that because Jesus suffered and died, when we look to faith in Him and the hope and the promises that He provides, we will be delivered ultimately from the curses of the fall. We will not be eternally separated from God. We, some of us may experience physical death, but what did we see from Enoch? The hope is, is that God can overcome death. What did we see from Jesus who, when He suffered separation from God on the cross. He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered the full wrath of God. He died in our place, experiencing not only spiritual death, but physical death. But Jesus rose from the dead. The only hope we have in this world is in a judge greater than this uh, North Carolina judge. One that will not just overlook the law, but a judge who suffers the penalty for the law in our place and completely and totally delivers us. That is the offspring we hope in. And right now, you may be suffering and hurting. You may have experienced loss and death. And you may wonder, are these promises that God gave even way back in Genesis or the ones that Jesus had? Is there any hope that they will come true? Because we're just seeing too many people die. And we've had to wait too long. Is Jesus ever going to come? Is He ever going to make it right? Well, in the midst of this, like Lamech, we look back and hope And the the faithfulness of our God, who we have seen all the while, even when it might not appear like it, He has been faithful to keep His promises as He has brought Jesus, the promised offspring, and He will do so. The only hope you and I have in life and in death is Jesus, the promised offspring. God has delivered us by sending a new Adam to take our place, a new covenant representative who will completely fulfill the covenant and deliver those whom he represents. Let's look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a covenant making and keeping God. Your promises are true. We can hope and trust in you. We thank you that death does not have the final word, but you do. We thank you that Jesus is the one who has delivered us and you did keep your promises to bring that offspring. May we look to you in hope and may we walk with you in faith. In Christ's name, amen.